in a world where you can sit on your couch with some ice cream and watch Michael Scott and Dwight take over the office and take over your favorite streaming platform. And you can also listen to Off The Top Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Julian. My co-host, Jordan. How are you doing today? Man, I'm great. Did uh, did my co-host turn into the love child of Morgan Freeman and James Earl Jones, though, for a second? I appreciated that, Julian. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Some would say uh, we're the songbirds of their generation. But today we're bringing you guys a great piece of streaming content that controls the world, kicked out a whole industry, and is continued to grow and continuing to rise. And today we're going to be talking about Netflix. And Netflix is absolutely interwoven and ubiquitous and widespread in today's culture, you know, investment culture, pop culture, all of it with Netflix and chill, their ticker symbol being NFLX. These guys are just behemoths in the game of streaming in itself. To this date, Netflix has grown from a DVD rental service to over 4,000 employees in the heart of Silicon Valley in Los Gatos, about 60 miles outside of San Francisco, and controlled and shifting a lot of different categories and receiving award nominations for Emmys and Oscars and this blockbuster content and changing the way we watch things. And that's Netflix. And so today we're just gonna kind of dive into that stream and get you up to speed. So hopping into the inception, it originally started with the CEO Reed Hastings, ironically getting a fat late fee charge from basically the granddaddy of what kind of created Netflix in blockbuster. So this guy got a $40 late fee charge on Apollo 13 like anybody else, wanted to fight the power. And if you don't remember what Blockbuster is, think about it as Redbox that you can walk into, a brick and mortar store with videos everywhere, your favorite video game, the newest releases, and you'd go there with your mom or your dad and pick up a movie. And then Netflix came in, started sending them by mail and said, hey, Blockbuster, you're out of there. Exactly. And so with the creation of Netflix, it was kind of like this very like punk rock child of kind of how they wanted to do things. The original kind of like they set out to as far as the co-founders being obviously Reed Hastings and then the other guy by the name of Mark Randolph kind of set out to be the Amazon.com of something back in the day they were trying to do and they settled on DVDs. So basically they would mail out like CDs through like the basically like a subscription. And that's how Netflix started. For Netflix to get this to this point, when they this idea had started, they had to go through a series of venture capitalist fundraising. And they needed this money to get the inventory and get the distribution channels to send out these DVDs. And of what we know of Netflix today, you'd think, oh, for sure people would be investing in that. But you have to remember late 90s, early 2000s tech bubble that it wasn't that easy. So their first round of funding, they got $2 million. And not only was it just $2 million, but it was also $2 million funded by Reed Hastings himself. Imagine that kind of like, you know, you're out selling cookies and you don't get a lot of buys, but the buys that you did get was your mom. (laughs) And so it wasn't kind of the 
like just such such an auspicious beginning for Netflix. But just three years later, after that point, during their Series E funding round, they raised fifty million by three backers. So at least there's improvement, but not huge causes for wow, this place like you know all of a sudden we just blew up. And so this DVD service, they kind of have launched. They launched around nineteen ninety nine. And in 2000 is when Netflix decided to aggregate this data and take it in and create this algorithm of, you know, suggesting, hey, you've rented these movies. Maybe you should watch these ones or we think you might like this genre. And so that's how they kind of created this algorithm. And at that same time in the early 2000s, they almost sold to Blockbuster. They almost took their DVD server and said, we're doing really good. Blockbuster wants to buy us. Let's go that route. And thank God they did not do that. It's it's kind of funny how that kind of a little bit full circle in the fact that Blockbuster didn't seem see it worthwhile to invest in the company that very handedly aided in its downfall, amongst other things as well. But I think that was another thing that was very, very intelligent on Netflix's side with the the analytics and the recommended videos to its users. And so not too long after that, like early 2000s or during those, they had their IPO to kind of keep things afloat. And so the IPO price point was at $15. And now if you look at it today, it's obviously a little bit higher than that. As Jordan's saying, if you would have had $990 at that point in time, to invest, you that would be worth three hundred and ten thousand today, being a thirty-one thousand percent gain, which is thinking on today, of course I should have invested in that. But back then it's, you know, why would I watch my movie on my computer? And, you know, that's where Netflix was thinking ahead. Yeah, and I feel like another thing to mention too is that there's a lot of like environmental things at this point that's aiding Netflix in kind of spurring to like grow in this environment. Another thing you got to think about in early 2000s, one thing that happened, which is kind of like not a great thing at all, but happened to kind of lead to something that really was beneficial to Netflix was 9-11. So after that happened, families in the in like United States families wanted to stay in more and didn't find like going out as salacious. So Netflix thrived in that environment. It's amazing how how luck works in different ways. To me, it's it's incredible how Netflix's timing was essentially perfect, right? They come if they come a few years later, it might not catch on and Blockbuster might still be in business. And so along with them thriving around 2007 is kind of like kind of the major stepping stone of the Netflix we know being that they launched their online video streaming service. During that period, they were also releasing, obviously, DVDs. So it kind of was like the like the stepping stone of kind of like now the full-formed Netflix that you can imagine in your head today. If you're wondering how Netflix works, it works on a, a movie windowing period. So we'll take a, a popular example of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is on Netflix right now. The way that works is, you know, Guardians Marvel presents this movie to these theaters and these distribution rights to different channels of media. And the theaters are going to play that. And then once, you know, it's out of theaters, it's up to Marvel to say, hey, 
we want to capitalize on the popularity and continue to sell DVDs for four months before it goes on to Netflix um, so we can make as much money possible. And that's why you see sometimes movies come to Netflix right away that didn't do very well in theaters. And that's also sometimes why you see movies end up on Netflix a few years after they release while they're still selling DVDs, just so those, those companies can capitalize on that wealth that is being made from the popularity of that movie. Yeah, it was important to say, too, because I feel like that gets lost in the minutia of everything is actually how kind of these movies get on to Netflix itself. And so after that 2007 mark, when they launched their video streaming service, they moved beyond web browsing in 2008. So there were some pretty quick moves. And in that sense, it, I mean, that they started linking up with devices that could be used to stream their service. So for instance, like, Xbox 360, the PS3, which ironically, I think it's ironic that the PS3 and Netflix kind of linked up in 2009 because the PS3 was touted for having this Blu-ray disc in it, which I feel like Netflix was the opposite at that point as far as like leaning more towards their video streaming instead of like sending out their DVDs in that sense. And they just kind of kept on kept the ball rolling in 2010 with adding more streaming devices as well. And you can see how quick technology jumps as Netflix in late 90s, early 2000s is working on transitioning from mail deep mailing DVDs to more so the streaming service, which they still mail DVDs today, which I think it's just DVD.com or something like that. But They've jumped to the Xbox 360s and Blu-ray players. And in 2010, they also round the base and make the full full family appeal of going onto streaming devices as well, whether it be your smart TV, your Roku, your Chromecast, doing apps, doing all these types of things by 2010. And so now I feel like we are kind of in the full fledge of what we know as Netflix. Around a couple of years after that, you see them like stack up some like pretty significant wins, some serious like original series that are very well known. Like, for instance, in 2013, they picked up House of Cards, uh, Orange is the New Black, and also started migrating to different countries as well. And, and going international with Canada and parts of Europe as well as Latin America and the Caribbean. And I think that's one thing that Netflix was just perfect timing for. There's no way Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or whatever your local DVD rental store could have done. The, the production time and the distribution time to send out physical DVDs to all of these different stores uh, you know, say if Blockbuster was doing original content would take a little while. But for Netflix, it's instant. You know, once they have it uploaded and they set the release date, it can go to window to all these countries they want it to relatively quickly. And that's one thing of, you know, with technology and sharing and streaming that everyone has access to. So there's this huge push to get, you know, a lot more indie producers are trying to get onto Netflix and you're seeing a lot more original content because it's easier to reach the masses now than it, it was 10 years ago. And just for a fun fact for you guys too, just kind of to paint the scale or paint the picture. So Netflix is in all countries except for China, Crimea, and 
North Korea as well as Syria. So they're every single place that you could imagine them being and still killing it. What do you think North Korea does? They're probably not in the position to be enjoying themselves, uh, you know, with Netflix. I wonder if it's just like their government pretending to be different people in different movies and their own remakes of White Men Can't Jump or Space Jam or the Titanic just by the Korean government or the North Korean government. Yeah, they just have like one guy, like they're, they're Tom Cruise that's like doing all the roles, even the male and female parts. And so, you know, as we digress... Netflix has expanded all of its boundaries and moved into all of these different countries and offering services in different languages. And, you know, they have so much growth potential and they see what their platform can do that on average for, you know, 2019, they're looking to spend 12 to 14 or $15 billion on original content, which is unbelievable because for a while, people were saying that these streaming services were just kind of a middleman. And now that they're producing their own content and have the right to just be in people's homes right away where people don't have to make it to the theater to watch it, it's shifting the landscape. Absolutely. And you can see Netflix kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of things, even in the fact that they are also possibly working on their own like virtual reality product to like integrate with their actual streaming service. So you can see that, I mean, granted, these guys are murdering it right now in the present, but they also are looking into the future in their netflix way of kind of seeing the curve before it happens. Netflix is also making its, its place in Hollywood, where in 2018, it broke HBO's 17-year-long run in Emmy nominations. They have... Record, received over 112 nominations in 2017, and that's up 90% from the year prior. And this year, they have even more Emmy and even Oscar nominations for what everyone thought was the little guy in Hollywood is now becoming the the giant. So every Adam Sandler fan can like kind of relate to how Netflix has garnered these huge stars and kind of pumped out like quality videos and a lot of them and the fact that you know you you run into like adam sandler original videos or even will smith or netflix original videos so it's not just kind of that they're going through these this original content on kind of like bootstrapping themselves they are now like a bona fide production you know presence in the actual hollywood game as, as far as creating entertainment the way they make these decisions is similar to what they're doing in the early 2000s is aggregating this big data and finding out what us as users like to watch and who we like to watch, when we like to watch, what that theme is. And with that comes a ton of data that is worldwide. And so on average, Netflix subscribers use about 45 gigabytes of data each month streaming content. Yeah, a lot of you guys are getting your Netflix and chill on in some serious ways, which is obviously just kind of adds to the power of like how big Netflix is. Another thing that they did that some people disliked or some people liked is the thumbs up rating system. That kind of changed the scale of things as well. But along with that, Netflix has kind of like made a name for itself and being that they're not afraid to kind of change up something when they see 
an opportunity to like, you know, provide something in a better light or better content. And the fact of in 2016, they changed their like encoding algorithm to like push down the quality of some videos. So for instance, like child children's programming to save like an, a massive, massive amount of data. Which is unreal. That's a, that's a ton of data. And that may be because as Netflix users, there are 140 million hours of content streamed every day through the service. Not every month, every week, every day, 140 million hours. So they're trying to work ahead to, you know, at least not essentially throttle, but, you know, if your four-year-old kid is watching Thomas the Train, he probably doesn't need to watch it in 4K. So, you know, they're making sure that these levels are staying balanced so that they can push out as much of this content and give people quality video throughout the day as it's being used around the world. I mean, we could go on and on about like kind of the cleverness of how Netflix does it and the fact that they also do their updates when they know that there's less traffic in the mornings or that they are just thinking ahead and doing different things to kind of create just a better experience for us as users. And I think it shows as well as how the numbers are growing. In 2026, it's estimated that Netflix will have about 300 million subscribers to their service, which is insane, man. And I think the thing with that is that says 300 million people are paying for Netflix or pay for a Netflix account. I say it would be safe to times that number by three for the amount of people actually who have access to an account. For example, like the Netflix account I'm on, I don't pay for it. It's someone else's. And there's probably a grip of people who are on their old college roommates Netflix or their old college roommates second cousins Netflix, and they're paying for that. And so that's kind of where you see some of the problems come in where Netflix talks about sometimes raising its prices. And you see the survey saying, you know, 35% of Netflix subscribers will go to another service. Well, you know, realistically, if they made everyone pay just $4.99, that not, I think in the end, it was kind of equal out a little bit instead of keep raising the prices and not doing anything about people on Netflix for free. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge thing as well, being that Netflix is a service that's shared. So it's not like they can capitalize on each individual user of it, just in the fact that it's kind of like you know you could be watching a movie with multiple people around and it kind of breaks that mold of like you know going to the movies yourself and paying per like you know per person being paid so you can just imagine kind of like what julian said get really good point in the fact that you know these guys are bigger than what they seem like on paper absolutely and that's where it kind of comes into you know what happens in the future they're putting up huge numbers on paper and you can see that in most cases they're bigger than they are, but the space is becoming more and more competitive. You have Hulu, you have HBO Go, you have Amazon Prime, you have, you know, cable TV networks setting up their own streaming services or on-demand services. How is this battle going to affect Netflix in the long run? Is it going to you know, be beneficial to us as consumers, or are we going to see, you know, more restrictive pricing and it kind of being more of an on-demand cable thing now where, you know, you're paying for this certain package to get this certain 
movies or the certain genre while you know you could go to another place and get a cheaper package with a different different genre on there who knows but the future is definitely very interesting for this type of thing there are awards and accolades that netflix gets just on their kind of their content creation side as far as this year being nominated for 15 like awards and Dude, these guys just don't slow down at all. Like, you know, you figure that they have a weak spot somewhere, but I think their only like downside that they could work on is kind of having users that aren't paying for their subscription service. We could see some other shifts too, where Disney is making their own streaming service and pulling a lot of their stuff off of Netflix. Or we could start seeing where instead of having these huge blockbusters coming to theaters, where it's coming directly to a streaming service for $3.99 or something different where you don't have to go to the theater and you don't have to worry about the kid in front of you yelling or the kid behind you kicking your seat or just being around other people if you're me. But that could come to Netflix too and you could do that from you know the benefit of your own home and maybe that changes some things a little bit. But you know, Jordan and I aren't psychics. We're archaeologists, so we can't tell the future. But we can tell the past. And we can tell that you've been loving the off the top podcast. And we can tell that from the past, dare I say, that you will be loving it even more in the future. Yeah, guys, we really appreciate the support. You know, we hope you're crushing The Office on Netflix, which was 2018's most watched show, where about 9% of Netflix users watch The Office. So we hope you're crushing that. We hope you're crushing, you know, our podcast and listening really enjoy your support and we're really just thankful to you know have you guys tuning in weekly yeah and netflix if you're watching um put the american office on the uk region lock because i'm i'm getting sick of it you heard it there first netflix come to us for ideas put you know the american office on the uk and uh make sure to tune in next week for our next episode thanks for listening guys Bye.